Welcome to the Straight Talk Physio Podcast with your host, Dr. Andrew Junak and Dr. Craig Gian Batista. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the physiology of tendon injuries, tendinosis and tendinopathy treatment, pretty much what we do in the clinic, why tendon pain hurts, imaging findings with tendon pain, and the research behind the differences in staging between tendinitis, tendinosis, and tendinopathy. I think you guys are going to love this episode. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, this is something I, I like talking about. I think it's very interesting. So hopefully, uh, you know, listeners today can kind of pick up on something and maybe learn a little something new. So yeah, definitely excited to do it. Yeah, this stuff is a uh, super common that we see in the clinic. We see this in all different parts of the body. And we're going to get into that in a little bit here. Um, but it's a it's a topic that I think that our viewers will really enjoy. So to kind of get us started off, Craig, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, or give us a little bit of a review from last episode? on what a tendon is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just in case you missed the last one or if you're tuning in from our previous episode, we'll just do a quick little review here. Uh, so a tendon itself is a fibrous band of connective tissue. And basically, if we're looking at it anatomically, it attaches the muscle to the bone. Uh, so the tendon itself is made up of something called a tenocyte. There's a lot of, there's many cellular components that make up the tendon, but something that's a little bit unique to it is called this tenocyte. Um, and basically what it does is it responds to the mechanical load that's put on the tendon. So but depending on what we do to the tendon, it causes these things to either act up or stay quiet, or that's kind of their job is, is, to, is to react to what we're doing. Tendons kind of remodel based off the forces placed on it. So we'll get into that a little bit more later, but just know that the tendon's main job is to transmit the force that's produced by our muscles to the bone that it's connected to. So they can be compressed, they can be stretched, they can be pulled. Um, that's, that's their main job. And before we go any further, we'll just do a little terminology review because we did talk about it last time. And even in the PT world, sometimes we use this stuff interchangeably. But when we're talking about tendinitis, that is more of an acute kind of inflammatory process that, that you know, happens uh, to the tendon, which we talked about last episode. Today, we're going to be talking about tendinopathy and tendinosis. So typically, if we're going book definition for tendinopathy, that's just kind of an umbrella term for any type of non-rupturing tendon injury that involves the tendon or the little surrounding area around the tendon that is exacerbated by a mechanical load. So we might use that term tendinopathy and it, it just kind of, it's a garbage bag term. It's kind of like sciatica for the low back. It can mean a whole bunch of things. Um, but something we'll key in on a little more specifically today is something called tendinosis, which is kind of that progression of the tendinitis that we talked about last time. That's the little more chronic condition to the tendon that gets a little bit more complex that we will be talking about today. So when you have that long-standing tendon issue, maybe this tendinosis, even though it's a term we don't hear very often, is maybe the more appropriate thing to say, or we just got to get in the habit of, of maybe using that term a little more. So with that being said, Drew, we, we did talk about tendinitis last time, but can you still just kind of give us that review, tendinitis versus, you know, tendinosis? How do you, how do you typically define that to patients or, or what's the way you like to talk about it? Yeah, so I'd say tendinitis is typically the inflammation of a tendon. So um, the way it's characterized just in the spelling, the itis stands for inflammation. Um, and then obviously tendon stands for tendon. So what we know about this stage from research and uh, you know, not so much, it, it's hard to stage this, these sorts of things without any sort of imaging, but even the imaging isn't always clear, but this is some of what we know from the research. Um, so we know that tendonitis is the inflammation of a tendon, and there's potential for micro tears within that tendon. 
Um, typically these micro tears are so, so small. Um, what we do tend to see from an MRI or any sort of imaging is maybe a little bit of what we call signal intensity within the area where the pain is located. So for example, if you have a proximal hamstring tendonitis and someone was to do an ultrasound or an MRI within that region, proximal meaning like down in the crease of the buttock, that's kind of the area where that proximal hamstring tendon sits. On the image, you would see an increase of white discoloration in that region. That increased signal intensity is what we use to help say, okay, what, what type of tendon problem is this? Is this, you know, maybe a tendonitis versus tendinosis versus tendinopathy? Um, what stage are we in? It just gives us some more information. Um, so it helps to kind of narrow down a diagnosis, especially if there's a few different things that you're potentially thinking could be going on. Usually in the tendonitis phase, there's no big structural changes yet. Um, so you just see some of these uh, changes on the MRI, but the structure is intact and the integrity of the tendon is intact. Now, when we move a little bit further into the tendinosis area, so a lot of times tendinosis is diagnosed based off of um, a time component as well. So if you've had a tendonitis for a period of time, you know, several weeks, maybe even a month uh, to two months, somewhere within that time frame, usually a tendonitis will progress to a different stage of a tendon problem if left untreated um, or not managed properly. And this could be the tendinosis. We consider this a degenerative stage of the tendon. And by degenerative, it doesn't mean that the tendon is like literally falling apart. It more so means that if we were to look at the tendon under an ultrasound, then what we would see is more wavy fibers of the tendon. So instead of it being these nice parallel and symmetrical fibers, we'd see a little bit more discontinuity or um, loss of collagen continuity within that tendon. And then what we find with the tendinosis is that they're more sensitive to load. So from a clinical exam, if we start to load that tendon, it becomes more irritable over time. And the patient will usually report this to us as well. From a tendinopathy standpoint, we consider this a further stage of degeneration of the tendon. So um, what might be staged or called a tendinopathy uh, might be where there is, you know, maybe a partial tear in the tendon or what we call like maybe a little donut within that tendon. Um, this, however, does not necessarily mean that, you know, that tear, so to speak, needs repaired. Um, usually, tendinopathies can be managed without surgery. Full thickness tears tend to be um, something that is a little bit more on the surgical side. However, I'm sure you've seen some full thickness tears that did not undergo surgery as well. Um, I've seen a few in my career, so it's not something that happens often. I don't usually think that we're the first providers to see these patients when they have a full thickness tear. Um, so it's really hard to really tell, you know, most people who get a full thickness tear, they get an, they already have an MRI and they're already sold on surgery. So most don't go to see a physical therapist in that case. But for patients who have a tendinopathy or have been diagnosed with a tendinopathy, we're likely thinking that there is some sort of potential tear in the tendon that is no longer micro tears. It is a little bit larger. Craig, you got anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, just one quick thing. And I think you, you kind of did a good job hitting on it. Um, but the tendonitis, when we're, when we're kind of thinking itis world, it's, it's, I don't want to call it a little bit more simple, but it's not something we really stage. It's kind of like it happens and, and it's relatively quick. Yeah. Whereas when we're talking about tendinopathy, we can, we think of it as more of a continuum. Like I would say tendonitis 
more often than not tends to be more linear. It happens. And then as long as you modify your activity, then you kind of, you know, better as time goes on sort of deal. Whereas with tendinopathy, it's not quite, it's not quite the same and it's something we can actually stage. Now for our listeners out there, this clinically, we don't really use these terms. Um, but if you were to get some imaging or if you were to, if you want to go deep down the diagnostic rabbit hole, you might encounter some of these turns, but in terms of a tendinopathy, we can, we can classify it into three different stages. So there's a reactive stage, there's a disrepair stage, and there is a degenerative stage. And that's basically just talking about the severity of what's happening. Um, so the re, if you think of, we have our, our normal tendon, you know, just our standard, standard normal tendon here, um, the initial sort of first phase of, of, you know, bad things happening is there is the reactive phase, whereas we tend to see a little bit of that collagen integrity. It, it, it gets a little bit messed up, but for all intensive purposes, it's very reversible depending on if you modify your loads. And even if you get imaging there, it might, it might appear completely normal, but as things get a little bit worse, like we're talking our disrepairs, that's when we're thinking of like the healing process of the tendon has started to fail. And now if we do image it, or if we were to put it under a microscope, we would notice that like the collagen and the extracellular matrix, that's starting to look a little bit funky. And then on the far end, the, the, the degenerative part is part of the tendon actually dies and becomes useless. Now it's not so big that, oh man, our tendon is going to rupture. There's, there's many good useful pieces of the tendon, but there might actually become a point to where a part of the tendon is no longer viable. And then we start, uh, you know, we start worrying about what we can use. And there's a, there's a saying that, that people will say is to treat the donut, not the whole the donut. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but just know that it, when we're talking tendinopathy, you can kind of go back and forth between those stages and it's not quite as linear as a, as a tendonitis. So I know last, uh, last episode we talked about maybe what are some common places we might see something like this. So Drew, what are some, some common, uh, tendinosis, uh, diagnoses that you tend to see? So I would say the more common ones, uh, pretty much anywhere in your body that you get tendonitis, you can see a tendinosis or a tendinopathy. So in the shoulder, you have your four different rotator cuff tendons. Uh, in the elbow, you have golfer's elbow, you have tennis elbow. In the hip, you have some of the gluteal tendons. You have your hip adductors. Um, and those tendons kind of work their way up into the groin. So a lot of times people with groin pain will have some sort of a tendon problem. Uh, in the knee, we have the patellar tendon. Um, we have the hamstrings tendon. Uh, proximal and distal. We have the quadriceps tendon. Uh, at the ankle, we have the Achilles. We have, um, there's some debate as to whether or not the plantar fascia has some tendon properties. So there's a lot of different areas in the body. You can almost name any body region that can develop some sort of a tendon issue. Um, we see them just so commonly. But with that being said, you know, this is common in all these different types of the body, but one thing that we it might be useful for us to have a better understanding of is how does this happen and what's the, the physiology behind it? You know, in practice, we don't necessarily use the physiology. We're not thinking like, Oh, this receptor is hitting this and this is what's happening. Like we're just treating it. But if you could give our listeners an idea of what that looks like from a cellular standpoint, I think that'd be really helpful for them. And then after that, we can start to dive into some of the other, um, I guess a little bit more practical things that we use for treatment and those, those sorts of things. Right. I think I agree with you a hundred percent. And I would say not to like, you know, make this very complex thing, very simple, but for the patient, 
typically what I'll tell them, or as if you're listening as a patient, the best information or just the, the little nugget you can take from this is for whatever reason, your tendon has now become less tolerant to loading. So let us worry about the, the sciencey stuff behind it. But if you can take that little piece and kind of get that in your head, I think that's the most important. Yeah. Um, but like you said, some of the, the pathophysiology of this stuff is we talked about earlier, the tendon is made up of many different things. Uh, the tenocyte, uh, collagen, uh, extracellular matrix, a bunch of things kind of come together to make our tendon, right? So just like many other things in our body, as we use the tendon, it's in this constant state of breaking down and rebuilding, breaking down and rebuilding. It, it's happening and we don't really feel that it's happening because it's happening on such a small level. It's not like, you know, if you're sore, that's not your tendon breaking down and remodeling. That, that's a different talk for a different yep. day. But just know that our body is, is, consistently, is consistently changing. Um, and as far as why exactly it happens, we're not quite sure, but we got some pretty darn good ideas. And I like to break it up into three different categories here. So sometimes the one piece of the tendon we have called collagen is if for whatever reason, if we're loading the tendon too much, if we're not loading it enough, if we have not loaded the tendon in a while and now we're start to loading it, you know, very quickly out of nowhere, um, they're starting to think that maybe that collagen can like loosen or it can kink a little bit. Um, or sometimes it can, can even be damaged. And then we, we use the term mechanically silent because now that piece of the tendon is no longer viable. So that, that's one option of maybe, maybe what's going on. So, so to break that down, you're saying that if we're to apply this, that too much load might not be a good thing. Not enough load might not be a good thing, but there might be this, this healthy amount of load that if we're thinking, you know, people always ask, like, how do we keep our joints healthy? How do we keep our, you know, how do I keep my, you know, whatever it is healthy, if we're thinking about tendons and muscles, like it is healthy for a tendon to be loaded, but there's this happy, happy medium. Is that kind of what you're saying with that, Craig? Yeah, that's hundred percent correct. And I'll kind of tell my patients, it's like a balancing act, right? You know, like that's why people like me and you exist is to help people guide through that, that pathway. Cause it's, it's not the same. It's not like you can write down on a sheet of paper and say, this is the recommended you know, right. amount of loading for everybody. You know, it doesn't exist. You know, it's very individual for it everyone. It depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. For and what, what's right for you might not be right for me. And that's why having like a skilled provider to walk you through that stuff is, is so important. Uh, it's a simple concept, but like you said, really hard to achieve. So, so glad you brought that up. Um, the second thing I always remind people of with this, you know, underlying patho stuff is tendinopathy, tendinosis, not really an inflammatory process. So people always think when something hurts, there's got to be some sort of inflammation there. In this case, it is not inflammatory mediated. Um, we can see inflammatory markers in the tendon, even under regular load. So maybe these inflammatory markers have a different job when they're in the tendon. We're not really sure, but what they do know is it's not an inflammatory process that's guiding pain. So that's, that's a common myth that I like to clear up. Um, and then the last thing I typically talk about is those tenocytes. So those little tendon specific cells and the example that I like to give, and it's not exactly like this, but I think it's easy to understand is everyone knows bones, right? And everyone knows like what osteoporosis is, or if the bone has, you know, it's not as thick, so it's not as strong, right? I think that's a pretty easily under understandable thing. And that's, that's kind of based on the osteocyte or the specific bone cell, right? So likely what is going on is if you don't predispose your bones to enough load, they get brittle and they get less strong. Or if you expose them to too much load, then they can crack or break or something like that. So I think that this tenocyte in the tendon has a similar role. We don't know exactly what it is, but just like bones, like we said earlier, you got to give them the right amount of force. 
Yeah. No, I think that's a that's a great way to put it because I think that's a a way that people will definitely be able to to understand it because sometimes when you look at some of the research into tendons, what seems to be a simple simple concept we're, that we're trying to understand is actually very very complex. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes um, just in the fact that you know you take a tendon and you load it. There's so many different changes that actually happen. Um, so with that being said, you know some of the other things that can that we can attribute to tendon problems um, outside of more so the physiology standpoint that are a little bit more on the environmentally related is, you know, if somebody has some form of tendonitis and it's left untreated um, or just not managed, like it wasn't managed appropriately, um, you know, with some of the things we talked about in the last podcast, it may progress to a tendinosis or tendinopathy. And again, these are, this is all like a continuum of staging. So, you know, in most people, I would say people will come down with a tendonitis and in a lot of cases that tendonitis will go away with rest, ice, you know, taking a little bit of time to deload. And then on top of that, maybe um, implementing a little bit of isometric work. But if that is not taken into account and you continue to overload the tendon or overuse the tendon, you add in too much volume with your workload, it gets too heavy or too sudden of a movement that your tendon wasn't prepared for, it can't progress to this further stage. And that's where we try to figure out well, what was it that caused it. And sometimes we can pinpoint it. Um, and then other times we can't, but I would say there are certain areas of the body that I tend to see clinically where people in their day-to-day job, their 40 hour a week job, um, they tend to get tendon injuries that are very related or closely related to some of the activities that they do on a daily basis. And they can progress to this tendinosis or tendinopathy level. So with that being said, I, I guess like one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around is you have this tendon and we always hear stories about you can have a disc herniation, but not necessarily have pain caused by the disc herniation. And you can have pain in all these other areas of the bodies, but the cause of the pain is somewhere else, or we've talked about referred pain. So Craig, can you give us a better idea of why this is painful? Like, why does it matter that the tendon is hurting? You know, how are these signals, you know, causing pain for us? Yeah. And I think that, it's, it's interesting the way you bring it up that tendon stuff can be so frustrating because it can almost seem like I was just doing my regular stuff and all of a sudden I went to go take a step and now it feels like someone put a fire poker in my like heel or my Achilles tendon, you know? Okay. So the, I, I guess, yeah, asking why it hurt is, is a tough question to answer because I can't say that we know for sure, but just like why it happens, I think we have, we have a good guess. So when we're thinking of pain, again, we talk about pain all the time on this podcast and how complex it is and you know, how difficult it is to understand. But if we, if we try to make a simple concept out of it, if we think that pain comes from something that is innervated, so the, the, the brain has to somehow figure out we're getting pain from, from some part of the nervous system. Uh, so tendons are a little interesting in the fact that some of the deeper part of the tendon, there's no nerve down there. Um, but there is a nerve to maybe the outside covering of the tendon. So one of the, the theories is that if we overload the tendon, maybe some of those special tenocyte, those tendon cells can send some signals out to some of the receptors that maybe are around the tendon or close to it or near it. 
Um, and that, you know, maybe the first couple of times, it's not a big deal. Maybe the body doesn't even, you know, relate it to damage. It's just kind of aware that something happening, you know, cause remember our, the job of the tendon is to, you know, move load from the, you know, the muscle to the bone. So it's kind of like business as usual. Yeah. But sometimes maybe if those signals are more frequent or they're more intense or they're just happening over and over again, or for maybe reasons completely unknown to us, now it starts to sensitize that area. So now all of a sudden we're doing our normal movements or we're, we're, and then we do something wrong or we get too much of some signal and now we're reading it as pain. Yeah. So, so it kind of, it's not uncommon to see these tendon problems to where you feel suddenly normal and then all of a sudden not normal. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be, I went to go lift something heavy. Now all of a sudden something hurts. That makes sense. It can be, I've been doing the same job for 15 years. Now my shoulder's starting to hurt. Why is that? You know, maybe it's this gradual sensitization that's, that's kind of been, been, you know, going on for the long term, and for whatever reason it's been set off now. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you've heard anything different, but that's what I tend to tell people that come in when they're frustrated. Cause there's, it's not like there's one thing that they can point out that that's making them feel bad. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because we, we have the same kind of conundrums with tendons that we do in those other parts of the body. You can get an image or an MRI, um, of a tendon and it can show that there's a partial tear in the tendon. Um, but really that's not where the pain's coming from. So you can actually have partial tears that are not painful. So I almost wonder, you know, since, since you made mention of the deep tendon, maybe not being innervated, but the outer sheath of the tendon um, might be innervated. If it's possible that that deep inner tendon where that tear is located, it, it may just not be sensitive yet, but it may become sensitive in the future. I don't know. But it's, it's really interesting because you would think, oh, there's a tear in the tendon, thus there should be pain. But the if-then principle really doesn't work very well with pain. And that's one thing we find across the body. And that's a mystery that I think we're, we're all trying to kind of solve and tease out. I agree with you because it's the same. I think the one thing that people can relate to the most and it's been going around forever is like knee arthritis. Yeah. Like someone comes in and they say, well, my knee started to hurt last month and they took an x-ray and I have bone on bone arthritis, which is my least favorite term probably of all time. I think it's a garbage term, but you know, it's like, why did going down the steps, you know, one month ago, now all of a sudden flare up this, you know, structurally impaired bone on bone arthritis. Like, why have you not been in pain for, for years? You know, like what, what's the kicker that, that kind of sets that cascade off. And I think it's, we, we don't know, you know, but it's like interesting. It's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. It's like the cartilage didn't disappear overnight. So, (laughs) you know, this is something that's been a gradual build of why now, why all of a sudden they're, they might've had that bone on bone for several years, but had no pain. So I think that's kind of the mystery of, of pain in general, uh, just across the, the body. And we still are trying to fight battle and tease that out with tendons as well. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Well, for our listeners out there, if we, you know, we always talk about what the patient might experience. So if you see someone with, a, a, you know, tendinopathy that, uh, you know, intolerance to load, like clinically for you, what's it, what's it look like? I'd say some of the more common things that I see is um, it's very local. So the pain usually is located where um, the tendon is located. So there's this correlation between the point of the pain, and then the location of the tendon. So usually we can press on the tendon or we can feel some sort of a bump in certain tendons like the Achilles tendon. We might find a very tender spot that is a little bit swollen within it. And then we can pinpoint that that's 
recreating the patient's pain and then we know we're probably dealing with some form of an Achilles tendon problem. So local is one key point. Uh, it can also be burning or aching and sometimes sharp depending on how irritated it is. And I would say there's different levels of irritation. Uh, I would say there's maybe a mild level of irritation, a moderate level, and then a severe level of irritation. And again, this is all a continuum. So you can be anywhere on this continuum and over the course of three different days, you could have different levels of irritation based on the activities that you've done. Um, so someone who maybe has a mild irritation of a tendon, uh, they might have pain after they're done using it. So these are my folks who uh, typically do CrossFit and they have maybe a shoulder problem. They have no pain during a pull-up workout. Maybe there's 40 pull-ups in the workout. They have no pain during, but then after the fact, they're experiencing some symptoms in the shoulder. It feels achy. It feels, you know, kind of heavy and it's not, they know something is wrong, but then that pain goes away and then they have no pain at rest. I consider that someone who has more of a mild irritation. Someone with a more moderate irritation of the tendon, what you'll find is potentially pain during the exercise and after use. So unlike mild, where you could have no pain during the exercise and then kind of feel it after, now you're feeling it during the movements, and then you're also feeling it after the fact. And by after the fact, it doesn't have to be right away. It can be the next morning, it can be 24 hours later, it can be just a few hours after use. So it doesn't have to be this, oh, I worked out, I don't have pain, I don't have a tendon problem. This can be a delayed response. And then also there's severe irritation or what we'd classify as someone who has a more severe type of irritated tendon uh, where they would have pain at rest. They're just in a constant state of pain. Um, they don't even have to use the tendon, move the tendon, load the tendon. They don't have to do anything to it. They're experiencing pain. And then as they continue to exercise or say they went to exercise, they'd have pain immediately during, and then they'd also experience pain after the fact, but it would be higher than their resting pain. So if they started out as a constant two out of 10 pain all day long, they may exercise, their pain might jump to a four or five or six, and then it would remain at a four or five or six for the next 24 to 48 hours. That might be an example of someone who has a little bit more of a severe irritation. Um, and it's also common to see after someone takes a break from activity and suddenly returns, um, as far as when and how patients can experience this because the tendon went from a period of not being loaded at all to a potential period of overload because it's not used to the stimulus or that, that loading that it was getting before. So because of that, you might see someone go from you know, feeling completely normal to a little bit of irritation, and maybe it's a mild irritation, and then they continue to load it, becomes moderate or more severe. So there is a spectrum for this as well for what patients experience, but it's somewhat predictable and able to be identified with a, a good history and asking the, the right patients or the, the right questions to the right patients. Is there anything you want to add to that, Craig? No, I think you're hundred percent right there. I like to use the, the kind of, I'll have the irritation talk with patients as well, because I think that if we're, if it's a tendon that we're constantly using, like the Achilles tendon, for example, if, if it's something that becomes sensitized, then all of a sudden just walking, you know, down the street can become painful. And that doesn't yep. mean that now things have gone suddenly wrong. It just means that it's irritated. And we know that if it's a tendon problem, using the tendon is going to make it worse. 
So it's, it's important to know that just because maybe for this specific day, now pain is, you know, way more than usual. That doesn't mean that you've suddenly damaged the tendon more. Your condition is now much worse. It just means that it's sensitized and it's, it's just kind of given a little bit more of that danger message than, than usual. And we'll kind of, as we talk about treatment here, we might get into a little bit more of that is pain safe with this specific condition. Um, but before we do that, are there any, and, and you did kind of hit on it earlier, but when we're talking about like a tendinosis, uh, is there any, is there like a number one thing that you tend to look for? Um, or you see in your exam that might be like, yep, I'm like super confident, um, in this, or is there like maybe, a maybe a time frame you give patients for it, um, before we get into treatment? Cause we, you know, we're always talking prognosis here. So I think that could be helpful. Yeah. I, I think that pain with stretching and direct loading of the tendon. I'd say that those are, those are the two things, but if I'm able to rule out all the other structures, if I'm able to, to say, to stress the nerve and the nerve isn't irritated, um, and there's no positive test there and I'm able to stress the joints and the joints don't recreate any pain. So basically I've gone through and I have said, okay, this isn't a joint problem. This isn't a nerve problem. This isn't a ligament problem. I've tested the ligaments. What do I have left? You know, oftentimes muscle tendon is kind of what I'm left with. And then by stretching and loading or inputting, imparting some sort of force, some sort of mechanical force, even palpation where I'm poking on that tendon or trying to find a sensitive spot, those are some of the things that I'm using to help um, identify whether or not we're dealing with a, a tendinosis or uh, a tendinopathy. Um, you know, what are some of the things, is that anything different that you use in the clinic? Or do you use say, kind of the same sort of things? I use the same strategy. I would say the number one thing for me to even be in the tendinopathy uh, ballpark is there has to be familiar symptoms with mechanic, direct mechanical loading to a specific tendon. Yeah. Like if that's not there, then it would, it would be hard for me to, to go down that path. Mm -hmm. And then with time frame, what do you usually tell patients? I, I know for me, the time frame is it's all over the place um, with someone who has tendinosis or tendinopathy, because I, I really truly believe it depends on the level of irritation. Um, if somebody's got more on the mild spectrum, it might just take several weeks to patch up versus I've seen it last for months on end. What is your like go-to timeframe that you usually, uh, tell patients? Sure. I, I tend to be a little, I play close to the chest. I, I just tend to be a little bit more conservative by nature. That, that tends to be my style, but I typically am. I have to do my exam first, right? Cause we talked about those, that kind of that irritation scale we use. Yep. And, you know, that definitely comes into play, but I typically tell these people to, you know, buckle up for a couple months at least. And yeah. if, if we get results sooner than that, great. Awesome. But the big thing, meaning that, you, you know, we can feel better within those months, like typically with tendon stuff, I I'll have people talk about good days and bad days. Like they might come in and say, I've had, you know, seven out of seven bad days over the past week. And then maybe we talk a month or two later and it's like, you know what? I had three bad days out of seven. So like, it doesn't mean that it's going to completely go away in that period of time, um, or it's going to completely hurt in that period of time. I think it's going to slowly get better because the job, and we'll get into this in our next you know category here is to, uh, improve the tolerance of the tendon to load. Right. And that takes a long time. Like we're talking about all these cellular components of the tendon and they all have their own specific job. And if they have been, you know, their job has been out of whack for how long reteaching that takes a long time. 
you know, I kind of tell people it would just be like, if I had to teach my patients a new skill, you're not going to learn it overnight, you know, and it does right. take the body. It took a long time for the a body to become sensitized. So it's likely going to take a pretty good period of time for it to become desensitized. Um, and I typically say that it's not like a, a an over, we have to make like kind of a, a structural and neurological change. And those things don't, they don't happen overnight. Um, so I typically say, if I had to give a number three to six months, and then in some cases, maybe nine months plus, but that's on the, on the long end. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I, and it's so hard to determine too, because I've seen some patients where they might fit into that more severe category, um, but they respond rather quickly. And then I see some patients who, you know, kind of have the beginnings of a tendonitis and we're thinking, Hey, we're going to catch this quick. We're going to rest it. We're going to do all the right things. And then sometimes they don't respond either. Um, so from there, I think it's, it's really tricky sometimes because everyone is different. I'd say there is the large number of tendon injuries. We can kind of say do get better, but there is that small percentage that, um, sometimes they need a little bit more help to treat, or there's some other things that kind of need to be done. But with that being said, um, I think it's probably a good segue to get into treatment for tendinosis and tendinopathy and kind of see, you know, what it is that we do and how that's different from a tendonitis. So let's start with what we would do for a tendonitis that we wouldn't do for um, a tendinosis or a tendinopathy. Yeah. So just like we talked about last, last episode, tendonitis, what do we do? Um, we can rest, we can modify our activity. We can use the price method, rice method, or, you know, whatever fun acronym that you've suddenly, <laughs> you know, that you like to use, you know, completely fine with me. Whereas in the tendinopathy or tendinosis, we, we tend not to use that, that rice method. Um, our main thing is, is kind of progressively loading the tendon. That's our mainstay of treatment, best research right now. And we'll get into that in a second. And in some cases, we can have a safe zone of pain when we're working with our tendinosis. Where in our tendinitis population, we might say, you know, pain is bad. Let, let's kind of hang off this for a second. Whereas in our tendinopathy, tendinosis stuff, we might kind of say like, you know what, a little bit of pain is okay to push into as long as we're not seeing, you know, X, Y, and Z symptoms out of it. Where I would say tend, the, the, the main thing, if you take anything away from this with your tendinosis, load management is paramount. Um, whereas I think in a tendonitis activity modification is, is the pinnacle thing that we do there. So I don't know, is that something that, that, uh, that you tend to tell patients, or if you want to get into a little bit more of your specifics with treatment, then I can kind of get into mine. Um, just, yeah, take it away on your end. Yeah. I'll let you talk a little bit more about progressive tendon loading. Um, cause there is a, there is a smart way to do it. And this is why we don't go from, you know, pain with walking to just jump back into running. There, there's a smart way to do it. And honestly, that could be its own podcast in and of itself um, yeah, because there's so much to it. And that's, that's rehab progression is what it is. Um, but it's even more important to have the proper rehab progression when you're dealing with a tendon. Um, and so I'll let you touch on that, but I want to touch a little bit more on the safe pain zone. Uh, I use what's called the two point pain rule. Uh, I don't know if somebody invented it. I don't know. I, I just call it that. I heard it somewhere and it's really stuck with me and it's helped a ton with managing a lot of my athletes is I'll tell them to rate their pain before exercise. So let's say somebody was in the more irritated phase of a tendon injury and they had pain at rest. So let's say it was a three out of 10. Okay. Before they touched a weight, before they did anything, they began lifting and their pain went up to a four. 
I would say that that's a safe place for them to continue going. If they continued on and maybe they went to the next movement and their pain went up to a five, I would say that's still okay. But if you exceed the two point pain rule, so if pain went from, you know, a three out of 10 to a six out of 10, then I would say something would need to be changed about that movement or about that task, whether it's the reps, the sets or rounds, if you're talking CrossFit, um, you can change the mode of the exercise from barbell to dumbbell. You can uh, change the speed at which you're doing the workout. You can um, decrease the weight. So there's so many different variables that you can control or even if, just change the context. So the way that you're completing the movement instead of, you know, do performing a shoulder press with your arm, like way out to the side, bring the arm in a little bit closer to your body and press that might take some of the load off the tendon. So there's a number of different ways that you can tweak and manage pain uh, while you're treating athletes that I just don't think we see enough of um, just in our profession or in other professions as well. But along with that, you mentioned the load management of the outside factors. And that's super important because if we're just constantly overloading the tendon, um, it's almost like getting a cut on your finger and instead of protecting it and giving it time to, to heal, you just keep poking the cut and the cut just never heals. So it's the same thing with, with tendons. We have to find that happy medium of, you know, this is the right amount of load and this isn't going to flare you up versus this is overload and this is underload. If we underload it, it doesn't get better. If we overload it, it just gets angry. We have to find that happy, that happy medium. So Craig, do you want to talk a little bit about progressive tendon loading? Um, this is, this is like probably one of our, both of our favorite topics to speak on, but I think this is one that you should definitely tackle. Right. And yeah, I definitely, I agree with you. Definitely a, an important thing. And I think you, you brought up a, a lot of great points there. And I think it depends who you ask when it comes to like, what's the goal of this progressive tendon loading? Are we aligning those collagen fibers? Are we desensitizing the nervous system? Are we structurally changing the tendon? Are we now getting the tendon's healing process back to a normal state? I, I'm, I'm not sure what the right answer is there, but what I typically I no tell people either. is it all fits under the nice umbrella of improving the tendon's ability to tolerate an external load. And that is the main goal. And with when we use the term progressive tendon loading, that just means um, adding a little bit more force as we're able. So the value I think of coming to a, a good physical therapist or someone that likes treating this is this is on a sliding scale, right? So one day you can be on this, you know, the high end of the scale, whereas maybe that's too irritated. We got to get you down to the lower end of the scale. Finding someone that's skilled in this knows where to start you to how much load is enough and then how to progress it. So if we go from maybe like the lowest amount of load to the highest amount of load, it would look something like this. And it, like I said, this is not a linear progress, but for our, for our, you know, terms, it's, it'll make it a little easier to understand. So isometrics, just squeezing the muscle without producing any movement pretty low on the amount of force that's going through the tendon. Yeah. So, if, you know, someone feels okay with that. All right, next step up, we can do something called a, a concentric exercise. So moving, producing actual movement with an external load. So, you know, we're kind of compressing our tendon as it moves and, you know, if that feels okay. We can either increase the external load or do something called an eccentric. So very he heavier weight with a controlled, uh, you know, descent to the muscle or a controlled lengthening of the muscle. So a controlled lengthening of the muscle tends to 
put a little bit more force on the tendon versus a controlled shortening of the muscle. And then finally, we can get into our like heavy external loads. So something with a good amount of weight. Um, and then kind of leading into more of our sports performance things like plyometrics, jumps, and all that other good stuff. So, and you did, you hit on this earlier, which was perfect. When we're doing this progressive loading, we're also thinking of what position is the tendon in? What position is our body in? Because when we're thinking of these exercises, you know, position, the, the type of contraction we're going to be doing, uh, you know, all play an important role in, you know, what's, what's the tendon going to like. And I think where we add value as PTs is moving you up and down that sliding scale, depending on how you respond. Typically yeah. treatment with this kind of stuff is heavily reliant on patient response. Because if we look at, you know, all these various imaging studies, like it doesn't matter how the tendon looks. There's nothing out there right now, research wise that can correlate to function or level of pain. Nothing. So the best, the best way we can do it is by patient response. So that's where the, the, the expertise here, this, the secret sauce with this kind of stuff is knowing when to progress or knowing when to dial it back down and, and how to like, you know, guide you through this journey of, of tendon loading. So uh, I don't know if you have anything to speak on there, Drew, or, you know, there's some other stuff we do out there, um, you know, passively that can kind of help with this stuff. So um, is that, is that anything you might do in the clinic? Yeah. So th definitely the progressive tendon loading. I think one thing that you mentioned that I thought was so interesting, this is why I love doing these, these podcasts, because I always, we always come to some sort of conclusion that is, is really interesting. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned is we don't exactly know what is making that tendon more tolerant to load. So we know for sure that progressive loading will do that, but there are some people who are treating tendons out there who will scrape the tendon and they'll believe that they're realigning the collagen fibers by doing so. Now we don't have research to necessarily support that this is what's going on, but patients will sometimes report improvement in symptoms after some, some of these treatments are done. So soft tissue work is one thing that we'll actually do as well to incorporate um, some hands-on work to that tendon or those specific areas along with the progressive loading. Uh, dry needling of the actual muscle or the knots that could be located in the muscle of that tendon, that's something that we'll do. Um, because in that case, we're helping to stimulate healing within that tendon. Um, some things that, you know, might surprise you that we probably shouldn't do in this stage of a tendon problem for tendinosis or tendinopathy, um, any of these like stages where, uh, the tendon is further along in that path outside of an inflammatory phase, cortisone, I'd say cortisone is one of those things where, uh, patients oftentimes receive it for almost any sort of tendon problem. And then many will actually, actually report that it didn't make them any better. And it's most likely because they were no longer in an inflammatory phase. Um, Cause cortisone in and of itself is a high dose of anti-inflammatory. Same thing goes with like ibuprofen or different types of medications that help to treat inflammation. If there's no inflammatory component to your condition, then anti-inflammatories really aren't going to do much. So in the beginning during a tendonitis, it may respond to an anti-inflammatory or some sort of cortisone. But once you've passed that stage, you're no longer going to have that same desired response from those types of things. And then I would say the last thing that I, I do focus on in the clinic is, and we haven't touched on this yet, but also strengthening other muscles too. 
So when a patient comes in with a hamstring tendon issue, I'm not just only doing exercise to treat the hamstring. I'm also treating some of the other muscles around that area because there are times where treating that hamstring directly for someone who has very high irritability, it's, it's not going to tolerate it very well. Or sometimes tendons don't always tolerate dry needling very well. So that's where our assessment is kind of the bread and butter. Once we figure out what it is that is also weak and might be causing or contributing to this tendon being overloaded, if it has to make up for a weakness elsewhere in the body, then we need to focus on treating some of these other areas regionally as well. Um, is that something that you see too, Craig, or are you kind of just going right after the tendon itself? Now, I'm really glad you brought that up because if we think about it, um, you know, we talk here on a lot of injuries that have a definite mechanism. Like if you have a tendon rupture, we're pretty confident as to why that happened. But if we're having a chronic overload of a specific area, it's not just one bad movement. You know, we got to chalk it up. It's happening for some reason. Yep. You know, could it be that muscle was weak specifically? Sure. Um, but could it also be, you know, if you're talking hamstring, maybe uh, if you have some, you know, lumbopelvic weakness and the hamstring's picking up the slack, then, you know, if, if you're just treating the hamstring, you're missing out on a key component here. You're just putting a bandaid over it. You're not, you're not really getting what's, what's the actual root cause. And I yeah. think that, you know, um, out, I, I don't, without a PT, I don't think that's something that you'd get anywhere else. Yeah, I totally agree. And also looking at form and the task specific specifically causing pain. There's a lot of people who um, have very stiff ankles and then end up with a, a tendonitis in their knee or, you know, a tendonitis in their hip because they're compensating for something elsewhere. Um, and it's not always to say that the ankle is the true cause of the problem, but could it be a small contributor? Yeah, maybe. So we address it and we move on. But I think that's the, the bread and butter of what we do is we look for the cause of pain. Um, you know, sometimes identifying or putting a label to pain is, can be somewhat simple oh, it hurts right here. It hurts in the Achilles. Um, there's a bump there. It hurts when I poke there. It hurts when I have you do a heel raise. Oh, you have an Achilles tendon problem. But the more difficult thing is why is your Achilles tendon being overloaded? If you, for instance, haven't changed a single thing about your exercise programming, you know? Um, so I think that's one of the, the big takeaways here. But if you could give us give our listeners some of the key points from today's podcast and just kind of rattle them off. Like what do you think would be the best take home for all of our listeners? My favorite take home from our talk today is just knowing that if you've had tendon pain for a long time, it's likely not tendonitis. We're likely past that inflammatory phase. There's not a whole bunch of inflammation in that tendon. Um, so doing our anti-inflammatory things might not be successful and that's okay. Yep. The main point of uh, when you have a tendon problem is taking this poor tolerance to tendon loading and improving on that by going through a progressive tendon loading protocol, which is something a, a physical therapist can absolutely help you out with. And the, the, my biggest thing that I tell patients is hang in there because we know this is something that might take a while. I would say, don't let it get you down. Know that you're going to have small victories on the way, but it might be one of these things that, that takes a while to resolve, but by and large has a pretty high success rate as long as you stick with it. So I think being educated on the timeline is, is crucial. Yeah. And you said it, you said this earlier, I'm just going to reiterate, if you have any sort of partial tendon tear or, you know, we're told that, you know, there could be a hole in your tendon or whatever. Just remember, there is hope. Treat the donut, not the hole. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Treat the donut, not the hole. So there is still hope. 
for people who have partial tears and things like that. Um, we see this stuff all the time. So just because you have a partial tear does not mean you need surgery. So thank you so much for tuning into the Straight Talk Physio podcast. If you like what you're hearing, it would mean the world to us if you subscribe to this podcast and the Peak Physiotherapy and Performance YouTube channel. For more information about us, please check us out on Facebook at Peak Physiotherapy Performance and on Instagram at P3 Physiotherapy. For more information about Craig, you can follow him at Dr. Craig G underscore PT on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any topic suggestions, comments, or questions, then feel free to email us at thestraighttalkphysiopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for watching, and we hope you have an awesome day.